Sports Weekend. A game that I definitely thought was going to be a massive dud in the first half. Hey, this is the Super Bowl. Let's pick it up. Let's do some things. Let's generate a little excitement, shall we? Ends up being an overtime Super Bowl. A classic Mahomes performance. Another choke job for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. If you include NFC Championship games, now that's four blown double-digit leads for Kyle Shanahan. Woof, woof, woof. And then, of course, yeah, it's all about the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. I, okay, I got a, a few thoughts before. Uh, I'm going to bring in Brady Quinn later in the show. And I'll, I'll break it down with him. Some of, the bigger, some of the bigger inflection points of the game, what he thought about the game plans, the more educated eye on this thing. But I, I have a few thoughts that I want to get to before we talk about what are we doing this morning? Morgan Riley gate, slap shot gate, empty net slap shot gate, whatever the hell this is. Uh, the, the most idiotic in terms of polarizing events I can remember in recent sports memory. Just out of all the dumb things that people are breaking down and as though this is like a difficult thing, it's very simple. So I'll, I'll explain in a couple minutes. Matthew Barnaby is supposed to come on. Didn't reply to my text this morning though. So, oh, yes, he did. So he will come on. We'll call him in a few minutes. All right. Mahomes called it a microcosm of their season after the game, right? They go to him on the field and they ask him if it's a dynasty. And he's like, it's the start of one, which I do love that answer right away. Just I, it's the start of one. Woo. He's ready. He was ready with that answer. But then he says it's a microcosm of their season. I went, I disagree, Patrick. I disagree because the microcosm of your season was oftentimes your defense did play well. Oftentimes, Your coaching was phenomenal. Oftentimes you were in a football game, big football game, but your offense came up just short in those moments. Your your pass catchers dropped the ball. You had somebody line up offsides. This year was a a season of frustration for the Chiefs. Mahomes was pissed. We talked about it with Laurent Dorvenet Tardif, his teammate. This wasn't just you watching it on TV. This is a guy who knew him who said, no. He looked frustrated with a lot of this season. Hadn't really seen him act that way before, especially when he had his one blow up, which was after the Bills game where he kind of embarrassed himself and didn't congratulate Josh Allen right away. And then went to the podium and bitched about the referees saying that it wasn't uh, a very, it was the worst call that he ever saw. Which by the way, I should note just quickly, Patrick Mahomes, everything that was going on with his dad, everything that's gone on with his brother, all the times that he's in the news, LeBron always gets credit for this. The whole, hey, he's been able to keep his image squeaky clean. LeBron hasn't had that kind of just tornado around him constantly and still been able to persevere with the exact squeaky clean, can't knock the guy. That's the one thing about Mahomes is he, he was mad that the refs made a call one time. Okay, all right. Anyways, they drop passes all year long. And we thought every week, I talked to Brady Quinn going, I don't know, this feels different. I don't know. I just don't think that they have the horses. And this guy, credit to the pass catchers for making the plays. There was a couple of them in this game where it was like Rishi Rice on the, the third and six. He's kind of reaching behind him. He makes a big play. Thought that one of the, every time he throws it to Marquez Valdez-Scantling and he secures the football, it's like he, he triple secures it. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe I caught this thing. It, it never feels... Never feels totally safe. But those guys made plays. Mikko Hardman, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, 
Obviously, Travis Kelsey, he spread the ball around. He mixed it up. He got everybody involved in that football game. But they came up with the plays, too. But he's the elevator. And that's why, man, two in a row, three in six seasons as a starter, three Super Bowl MVPs, the opportunity to win three in a row, which Tom Brady never did. Obviously, the GOAT stuff is on the table. Obviously, that's the stuff we're going to talk about. But the thing that will last for me outside of Mahomes and the brilliance of that drive and feeling the confidence that he was going to go down and win on the last drive of the game, I wasn't sure about the game-tying drive. Got to be honest. When it was under two minutes left, they still had the two timeouts, and there were some shaky moments. And if not for Kelsey making that huge catch that takes them down to, what, the 11-yard line? Harrison Bucker, who's nails nails life on the line. He's ahead of Justin Tucker right now. No question about it now, but that would have been a 50 plus yard field goal, which is going to make you sweat. And, and just, and by the way, it should be noted that the last time Harrison Bucker missed a field goal, it was at that stadium and it was over 50 yards. So he did have the record, but a little bit of spooky stuff would have been for them. So yes, I'll remember Mahomes. I'll, I'll remember that this was the beginning of the dynasty, as he put it, right? This is them securing three Super Bowl rings, which does. It does put them into a completely different territory. I was thinking, what's it going to be for Mahomes' legacy if the second half mirrored the first, right? After he throws that interception, and you're thinking, he's been pretty terrible. He said the one play downfield that Miko Hardman caught. But outside of that, you got Travis Kelsey blowing up on the sideline and Pacheco just not doing much outside of fumbling in the first half. But Mahomes wasn't doing anything. Throws that interception. Then they get the ball down at the one, and he doesn't do anything with that either. And I'm starting to go, hmm, how, how will we process this if he loses this football game and he plays this poorly or he doesn't, he doesn't really have a massive impact on the game? And then it goes completely the other way because he just he does what the great ones do. It felt so Patriots, by the way, where hang around, hang around, hang around, and then all of a sudden Tom Brady gets the football with the final drive and then just scores, and you go, yeah, of course. Of course Tom Brady won. <laughs> he's just, he's, they, they just became the Patriots overnight. They really did, with the defense and just the, the, yeah, the way that they won that football game. But to me, the other part that I'm going to remember is just the amount of swing moments that were in this game. And that's the beauty of a tight contest. That's the beauty of a game that goes into overtime is that you think about all the little things that ended up happening in a game. But this one has so, so many. And if you're a Niners fan, you're probably not listening to this because you know me. You, you, if you're a Niners fan, I'm the last person on planet Earth you want to listen to today. But I'm going to try to be fair. I'm not going to try to rub it in your face and remind you that since the Seahawks came to the NFC, during the NFC West, it's like Seahawks have a Super Bowl and Niners still don't have one. Something stupid. I can't even remember how many. It's 25, 26, 27 years since uh, the Niners won a Super Bowl. Either way, all these talented teams just can't get it done. The extra point miss by Jake Moody. Not punching in a touchdown on their final two drives and having third and fours both times. Deciding to get the football in overtime in the first place. And then not getting aggressive with that could have just had the Chiefs try to drive down the field and kick a field goal from that spot. This is the, their nine-yard line. Trust your defense. Trust that you can pick up a third and four. All these weapons, all these pieces. Kyle Shanahan got tight and decides to kick the field goal. And I know how I felt when he kicked that field goal as someone with a lot of money on the Chiefs. Thank you. Thank you for the Super Bowl, Kyle. The punt off the special teamer's leg that turns into a touchdown and completely changes the tide of a game where the Chiefs had zero life. 
the back, the side of someone's foot. And it, that poor kick returner, because he bends down to pick it up, and I went, what are you doing? I didn't see the, the ball hit the guy's foot, but I, I, I screamed many things at that guy before realizing that he wasn't in the wrong. Not capitalizing on the points on the Mahomes turnover? Like, they got a short field right away. They were up 10-3. Felt like a real chance for the Niners to just put their stamp on the game. They couldn't move the football. So, to me, this was just... As much as it was about Mahomes, as much, much as it was about his ability to close football games, as much as it is about him being one of the greatest of all time and Travis Kelsey coming up in big moments and the way that we feel about Andy Reid right now and the greater conversations about what this is going to take for him to be the GOAT and Tom Brady the winningest and is Mahomes the most talented quarterback who also pairs it with the winning, all that stuff aside, I will remember this game for the missed opportunities that happened for the San Francisco 49ers but also just the way that the Chiefs defense played in huge spots in this football game, shutting down both those third and fours, making sure that they got rid of the football both times with good field position to start the second half, just a classic bend, don't break. And when I talked to Brady later, it's, he was right. It, this Steve Spagnola came up with an excellent game plan full of tons of pressure and it caught up with the Niners. It was the one thing that they couldn't overcome. It's a team that's known for making these huge splash plays. And what was their biggest splash play of the game? Some Juwan Jennings catches, the Christian McCaffrey yards after the catch where he ran it up the sideline. There, there weren't too many in this football game. So credit to the Chiefs, credit to Mahomes. One hell of a Super Bowl. Yeah, and thank you as a, from the heart of a Seahawks fan who had a, oh, a lot of money on the Chiefs. What, what a win, what a win, what a win. Okay, Leafs. Um, So, of course, we take Leafs talk off that night because it's Ennis's 40th birthday. By the way, happy 40th to Ben. Today is his day. So reach out to Sportsnet Ben at Sportsnet Ben and wish him a happy birthday. It'd be very sweet of anybody that's listening to the show. Ben will be on tomorrow. I have Ben's 40th. Sam was off and heading down to watch a have a Super Bowl weekend with the fellas. Had no idea that I was going to be taking it off too. I'm like, what's the harm? What's the harm that we missed one Saturday night game? Oh, yeah. Turns out that it's Battle of Ontario. Turns out that it ends with Ridley Gregg becoming a notorious, a notorious villain in the city of Toronto. Morgan Riley doing, oh, just the world's worst thing. Oh, how could Morgan Riley do such a thing? Again, this isn't complicated, okay? I I saw all the, a lot of the discourse online because, again, I came back from Ben's 40th and... I went, oh, my God, I can't believe that this is what happened, and I'm trying to catch up with everything, and I'm, I'm looking at people, and it's just the clutching of pearls that some people had with Morgan Riley. Who says there's rules? <laughs> who says who says you can only score an empty net goal a certain way? Man, really, Greg, he, really, Greg did that to antagonize the Toronto Maple Leafs. Duh. You try to antagonize the other team, and they're going to try to mess with you. There's actually, People said... This, has this ever happened before? This has happened before. This has happened in the NHL, okay? There's multiple clips of it. Guys getting a little too cute on empty net goals, and then what happens? There's a response. Now, does Morgan Riley get the stick up too high? Duh. Can you cross-check somebody in the head, especially in 2024? No. Is he going to serve a suspension for it? Obviously. I don't think that he was going for his head. I think that he's going high on him. He's going for the shoulder. But, hey, you go high and you miss, you pay the price. But this is a guy who, in 11 seasons in the NHL, doesn't have a suspension. So I think some people should probably cool it with the idea that this guy's just like a thug, a villain, an awful guy. But, yeah, the Leafs, a team where everybody cries that they don't care enough that teams walk over them. They've really got 
One guy. One guy. 44. Morgan Riley, who you just can never question that about, has all the playoff stats, elevates him, elevates the way that he plays in the playoffs, always gives you the good quote. Guy absolutely gets it. And in that moment, he got it. And if not for a soft play by William Nylander flipping it towards the net, you know, it was, maybe he doesn't have to do that. But Morgan Riley said, no, you're not doing that to us. Not in our arena. And yes, it was, that is the Toronto Maple Leafs arena. I think everybody knows it at this point. More people went home unhappy in that arena than went home thrilled with the way things ended. But yeah, like it's, it's pretty clear that he has to do something. Just what he did ends up kind of a bad break for them and a little over the line. But the idea that this is like some kind of big moment in the NHL, of, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe Morgan Riley. It's so soft. It's such, I, I saw all these things like a weak loser mentality. No, if you think that Morgan Riley has loser mentality, I think that says more about you. The guy is a rock and the Leafs are really going to feel the loss because that's going to be the story moving forward here is can they survive without 44 on the blue line, a guy who's almost a point of game player for them and far and away their best player on defense. Anyways, Matthew Barnaby, a guy who knows better than me. He can come on and tell me if everything I just said is wrong or if he agrees with some of it, because you know, you actually did have to try and enforce some rules and you were also someone who aggravated and, and tried to bend those rules. Uh, former NHL forward and author of unfiltered. What's up brother? I'm good. I don't even think you need me, man. I can hang up. Everything you said is 100% true. And I know you're referring online to Twitter, and that's a cesspool of stupidity when anything happens in this world. Listen, we live in a soft, soft, soft world. Dude, I tweeted it was the worst halftime performance ever yesterday because I didn't like it. And I'm actually an Usher fan. Like, I grew up in that era. I had people going like, I'll never see you the same way again. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't like the halftime show, I guess. All right, sorry for that. Uh, but anyways, uh, go on. I agree I could, with you. I could, I, could, I could tweet out that I love my kids. Yeah. And I'll get some idiot yeah. saying, I hope you die. Yeah. Like, I hope you die a slow death. But I'm like, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, block. To be fair, block. it is you. So, yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, but you, let's go back to, to, to the hit and the goal. There's no, there's, there's no code. I, I wish people would start or stop talking about this so-called code. I, I played 15 years in the NHL, almost 1,000 games. And not once did I hear guys in the room talk about a code. It, it, do, you, do you stand up for your teammates? It's just an unknown. It, it's just a known that you stand up for your for your teammates, and or that's what you're supposed to do. Is I think a good teammate, but you don't sit around talking about oh this guy can't shoot into an empty net or like do whatever you want. I, I'm the first guy that would have taken a slap shot if I'm playing the Toronto Maple Leafs and I'm playing for the Buffalo Sabers. I want to piss off those fans. I want to piss off those players and give our fans something to cheer about because certainly Ottawa does not have a lot to cheer about yeah. and yes and I, I, I love it I so absolutely I. love so it did I. Some rivalry create some excitement it's, it's entertainment and I 1000% love what Morgan Riley did now I don't like the end result and I agree with you he didn't go trying to cross check Greg in the face he tried to hit him in the shoulder and unfortunately when your emotions and you're in mm. the game and it's fast Sometimes you, you lose control of, of how high you go. He's going to be suspended. He's not a goon. He just stood up for his teammates. So I love the way it all played. It, it added a lot to the game, a lot, of, a lot to the entertainment value. It's everything we're talking about. But I love it from both sides. Dude, having it really feel like we've been waiting for Battle of Ontario and 
Sens can't get it together, and Leafs are not. <laughs> Leafs don't have it together either. Like they might be ahead of them in the standings, yeah. but yeah. you're losing to that team that's been in complete disarray on Saturday night. And it, like this wasn't a game. Leafs. You want to talk about stuff? They're going to lose Morgan Riley from a blue line that cost them that game with just a bunch of soft plays and bad turnovers and bad reads. Like that was the secondary story of that hockey game. Is is they just they they sucked again back there. They did not look good. They didn't look tight. But to have Jacques Martin behind the bench and a, a memorable physical moment between these two franchises and the Leaf fans in the building causing a ruckus and Greg having a, a feel for the moment of, no, I'm not just going to tuck this in politely. This is the Maple Leafs. The fans that are here hate these guys, and they want to have us embarrass them a little bit. I thought it was great all around. Just, again, an unfortunate break for Riley that it goes high, one that he'll be accountable for. But, no, I, I think stuff like that, is, is great for the game. Stuff like that is actually going to put more butts in the seats and make sure that people the next time Ottawa plays Toronto, there's going to be more eyeballs on it. Absolutely. It's entertainment, and that's what we talk about. And, you know, it, it, we don't have the rivalries like we did in the 90s and mm-hmm. early 2000s or going back to the 80s because the physical element, and that's what a lot of times creates um, obviously, good teams, uh, two good teams that, that are in the same division create a rivalry, but we don't have the physical nature in the game that we did 15, 20 years ago. So when we have something like this happen, it's entertaining. And yeah, next game, it's going to be sold out. I, I don't care where it is. They could play it in Japan and people are going to fly over there to watch the game because now there's a storyline behind it. And, and that's, that's, that's what makes sports is storylines and, and obviously um, having those going into games uh, certainly makes it a lot more fun. But yeah. these people on the internet that, that literally say you don't do that, you don't shoot a puck into a net like that, you just stop. But you I think it's both ways too, though. They're like, they don't shoot the puck in the net. You want to. Yeah, they're like, you don't shoot anyway, the puck in there, but then they say you don't go after somebody and hit them after they do that, too. It's like, no, no, no. He did it to yeah. piss them off, and, like, he yeah. knew that was coming. He didn't think that yeah. he was going to look over his shoulder and not see anybody come over and try to get in a scrum with him. It's just that he probably was expecting a fist instead of a stick. Hey, I, 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 I'd go, I'd go uh, snap with my finger to, to my brother when we were younger. He's 14 years older, and I'd snap him in the ear. Listen, I was trying yeah. to piss him off, yeah. <laughs> but did I know I was getting a beating right after? Absolutely. Yeah. But I was willing to do it to yeah. piss him off. Yeah, exactly. You, you were ready. You knew that there was going to be a price to be paid. There's no way that if you gave uh, Greg the truth serum and said, hey, after you shot that puck, what did you think was going to happen? He'd be like, oh, I just thought I was going to skate off the ice and they would shake our hands after and say, good game, have a good night. Everybody get home safe. Like, duh. Obviously, yeah. it was going to happen that way. So, yes, you're right. There's no codes. There's no things. But it's it's just unwritten. It, it, it's just the unwritten. And it's not even rules because I don't even like saying that. But it's just, you, you just it's no. You just know what's going to happen. Yes. You just know what's going to happen. You know when you're trying to antagonize somebody that they might take it poorly. And you also know when someone does antagonize you, especially publicly, that you feel a little bit more pressure to hold that person to account for their action. Duh. Yeah, and and if if, if Greg has that breakaway against the Arizona Coyotes, does he do it? Probably not. No, hell no, pro- he doesn't. Pro- 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 probably not. No. But it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes. They have they have three quarters of the building is is in blue and white. Like the players don't like that. I didn't no. like playing in Buffalo when I, I love when Toronto came into town, mm-hmm. but I didn't like seeing our stands full of blue and white. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's frustrating for the players. And that was his way of getting back to them. So it's going to be an in-person hearing for Morgan Riley, which I think what gives the options of six games or more. Um, what, what do you think he gets? 
I think it's, I, I think it's a very similar, but because it is premeditated when he goes after him, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a reactionary thing. I think he gets five games and, you know, for a guy that isn't dirty, it's a, it's a tough one, but I think you look at uh, a guy like Perron um, who, who got six games. Um, I, I just think because, because it's predatory after he had time to think about it and he went right after him, deliberate cross-check. He, again, I think we agree and most of us agree that he didn't try to get him in the face, mm-hmm. but he, he, he got him in the, he got him in the face. Yeah. So um, for that, it's, it's five games for me. Mm. I, I, I think that that's probably right. Uh, I do. Uh, I do think that this is a situation where the 11 years in the league has to matter. Right, the eleven yeah, years yeah. in the league. This is a guy who earlier in the season, people were going, "Oh, is he going to win the Lady Bing?" Right. So, to me, that context has to be taken into account yeah. here. I do. Every time I see the video from that one angle, it does. It just really does look like Greg moves slightly, and that allows the stick to ride up into his face again. Reckless, dangerous, all these different yeah. things. I just, I really hope the league doesn't throw the book at Morgan Riley, considering a bunch of the circumstances, and that they do take a few of those things into play. Um, I, yeah. Again, I know they got to protect guys head and neck area. Yeah. I know whenever you have an opinion like this, people just say that all you, you don't care about player safety because they're white knighting yeah. for uh, players who aren't asking for you to white knight for them. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm, I think I would lean a little less. I, I would think I would hope for three, but that's probably also me saying, I don't want to watch Leafs hockey games without him on the blue line. Like, I don't know how they, I don't know how they survive it. I, I, I could see as low as four and I could see as high as six. I, I think they're, I think we're all in the same range. Yeah. And obviously you have a different, you know, opinion being in Toronto and, and, and knowing that team, what they're going to look without Morgan Riley. It's, it's mm. a completely different team. And this, this is, this is, this is not perfect for him, but we're going to least fans that maybe cry about him sometimes. Uh, you're going to realize how damn good this guy really is. No, oh, man. They're like, again, this is a team where the number one story right now, uh, like from a roster construction standpoint, is they need a defenseman that can slot in at the very top and push everybody down because yeah. everyone on the team, except for Morgan Riley, right now is playing above, yeah. like, above their weight class. Like they're, they're punching up. It, it's funny you bring up slotting because it's my number one thing in, in building a team. Um, Detroit, I thought, did it masterfully for my whole career of having guys like sign there, you know, when they were a little, little long in the tooth and, and slide in perfectly. You know, you, you take a guy like Daniel Cleary plays fourth line. Now he goes to another organization like Edmonton back in the day and they bump him up to the second line. Well, he's not a second liner. But he fit in perfectly on the fourth line. So your your point on slotting is absolutely uh, right because when you start playing, um, you know, a, a, against people you shouldn't be out on the ice against and playing more minutes than you should be playing, that's mm-hmm. when teams and players get exposed. Yeah, and that's the that's been a big story of the Leaf season. And you know, before I talk to you more about their actual team, I just want to say too with the the my last thing on the Riley thing because I was just thinking about it now. You brought up, does he do that against Arizona, right? Does Greg slap it in the back of the net against Arizona? Like, no. Does Riley react that way um, on a a normal given night? You're the NHL. You've been dying for rivalries to return. And, like, you you changed your entire playoff structure to encourage more rivalries happening because you're losing them from the game. Because that is part of the byproduct of having a less physical hockey game year over year, younger players. There's not as much animosity and hate between the teams as there, yeah. there once was. There just isn't. And so you want to have Toronto-Ottawa be a draw 
you can't just have it be a skills competition. You know, it, it can't just be up and down hockey, two teams scoring. There's got to be a physical element. There's got to be a chippy element if you want the product to be as best as possible because that is, yeah. you want the, you want to look down on the ice or you want to look down on any playing surface if you're a fan and think that the players care more than you do. Like they, they have more at stake than you, that you in the stands don't care more, that you don't have more emotionally invested in it. And so you have a play like that, that again, goes against Morgan Riley. But my thought of you throw the book at him and you're putting this on six games or whatever, it, it, maybe it ends up even being more, I doubt it. Right. And given the, yeah. the history, but let's say it's yeah. six games. It's like, yeah, that, this is the memorable moment that people are talking about. This is the physical play. This is the, the this is the juice between these two teams. Well, they hate each other. And now you're making, uh, again, maybe you're just saying be more responsible. I hate couching this, but I hate the message that it does send too, which is, hey, if a guy does that to you, find a different way. Be a little softer about it. Be a little bit more calculated in the moment while the rest of the league is telling you we've got to find a way to make people care more about these games because we have too many rivalries that are going away. I, I understand, but obviously you can't cross-check a guy in the face. Yeah. And I, yeah, you know you you know that. I understand where you're going there, but you know if, if it was me, I would the gloves would have been shed right away. I would yeah. have jumped on him and started punching. Yeah, that that's, that was his he, mistake. He he really and, just should have jumped him. And is punching a guy in the head ten times? You know, I know less better. than cross-checking. I, yeah, I don't I know. know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know a lot of guys. If you jump on them and and guys that. You know, if Reeves jumps on a guy and punches him ten times in the head, he's probably getting ten games. Yeah. You know, but just because of his his past and and what he's done and who he is and how he plays. But yeah, that that's what I would have done. I would have sent the message without cross checking him in the face. So, let me. Uh, do you think the Leafs are any good? <laughs> I I think I I think they're okay. I don't think they're a Stanley Cup contender no. in my opinion. Yeah, no, they're, I think they're just they're, fine. Like they're just they're, they're fine. They're 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 fun to watch. Um, uh, again, the same conversation. We, it, none of this matters till they get to April, mm. and that's where we judge them. And that's that's where you judge the uh, teams that are supposed to be Stanley Cup contenders. But no, they're 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 okay. They're they're not great, and they're they're above average. They're 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 a good hockey team in the NHL. Yeah, I just uh, you look at the standings. I think they're seventh now in the Eastern Conference. Um, they're just. They, they just don't feel like there's anything about them that is overly special outside of the same thing year over year where it's, hey, they have Matthews and Marner who can create, and they did again in that game. Yep. The second line has sort of disappeared since Nylander got the contract. It just did, they haven't been the same. <laughs> um, just a fact. Like uh, People can get mad about it, but they, they haven't had the same impact. Nylander hasn't been carrying that line the same way. The signings yeah. that they had haven't they, they haven't had one that's over delivered outside of depth ones. Like, yeah, they've gotten a little bit more than they probably expected from Noah Gregor. It's not having an impact night in, night out. They've gotten more than they expected from Martin Jones. Okay, but that that's run its course. We saw that in that game. They got more than what's expected from Simone Benoit, but ultimately you're hoping that he's your third pairing defenseman, right? Not that he's yeah. running out there and being your second pairing. And I just it's, it's another game where and I recorded it and I it's different when you're watching a game and you do know the result of it because I, I feel like you're you're looking for reasons why they lost. But this has just been my feeling all year long. Is just I, I, you, you can't trust them. Like the Sens are bad. You know, you watch that team a lot. This yeah. has been a dysfunctional season for Ottawa. And then they play the Leafs. And I don't care if it's a Saturday night and the energy is up and whatever in the building. It's you got to take care of those crappy teams. You got to put them to bed and just grab the two points. And again, you're you're in a dogfight now with Detroit. For yeah. you know, being a number one wild card team. Yeah. So, well, uh, go 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 back to Detroit in the nineties. They they never lost to bad teams. 
Like they, they just didn't, they took care. Like you said, when, when you play bad teams, you take care of those. And the good teams really know how to get up for those games and dominate them. Just mm. pocket those two points because there's enough games in the league. Not that, not that, you know, the, the bottom teams can't beat the top team, but the really good teams, they just don't lose to those kind of teams. And, and Ottawa's, Ottawa's just a fly-by team. They, they, they go offense, and if, if they outscore you and, and, and everything's working for them that night, they win. But most nights, defensively, they just aren't a good team. They're a young, inexperienced, and a team that doesn't know how to win. And when you say, you know, the, the, the building's jived up and, and, and electric, yeah, it's all, it's all Leaf fans. It's all Leaf fans. Dude, you know what kind of pisses me off, too? And I, I'm a little, you know, perturbed about it, even though I shouldn't be, because again, I got everything I needed yesterday. You and I, I think what you had 20 units on the chiefs. Yeah, it was a good game. That was, yeah. I was very happy. You, 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 you put me in a pissy mood all day though. Well, you because... know, I don't, I don't need that negativity. It's not going negativity. Into the game. All I was saying to you is that it concerned me that every person I talked to was on the chiefs. Like I couldn't find a human being that was taking the Niners. I kept seeing, oh, the Sharps in the shadows are taking the Niners, but every person I asked was on the Chiefs, and that's just a bad sign, you know? Oh, when all of us are on the Chiefs? Hmm. You know, it's, it's the same thing as, and I have some of this, okay? It's like, I have, I, I own some of it, but it's like the crypto conversation. When I talk to people about crypto, and it's like, all the dumbest guys I know have a lot of crypto. <laughs> you know? It's like, hmm, this isn't good for me. This is... It's like, you have it too? Oh, that's not good. That's the Chiefs. That was the Chiefs in a nutshell. And so at halftime, I was very much sitting there completely like, despondent, thinking, why did I put so much on the Chiefs? I had to do it. And then, of course, I felt so great at the end going, that's why you've always hey, been on Patrick hey, Mahomes. Hey, 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 Matt, can you come on tomorrow? Awesome. You're going to uh, lose all your money. Commiserate all our lost bets too. That's yeah. great. That's, that's, that's yeah. really what I want to hear. Yeah. Um, heading, heading to watch the game. But, is, but. Yeah. But would you rather a guy who texts you and says, come on, we'll talk about all our game-winning bets, buddy. We're going to win all our bets tonight. That's the biggest jinx who ever lived. The person who says, hey, we're going to lose everything. We're not going to win any of these bets. <laughs> that, that's putting the good energy actually out there. I would say that that's the, the responsible gambler. That's the smart gambler. Well, well, when I when I hit a bet at halftime, I really shouldn't have hit that I was okay to play. Yeah, you know, I was fit to play. <laughs> no, the, the, the thing that kills yeah. me and that I'll never forgive myself for. And I'm sure there was a I'm sure there was a, a max limit on it because all those weird props do. But the second I I bought uh, show Taylor Swift six plus times. Yeah. And as soon as the game started and they started showing her, I went, why didn't I put every penny I have on? Like, I felt like the dumbest person who's, it's like, hey, they have the most famous woman on earth at this football game and she's dating yeah. one of the players and she's in a, she's in a suite with multiple other celebrities. Do you think they're <laughs> going to show her a bunch in the game? Like whenever her best player boyfriend catches the football and every time they flash it, I went, I can't believe oh. how little money I put down on this bet. Like I... <laughs> I, it should have been everything. I sat there and went, this is, I, I watched sports all year long and I watched this Taylor Swift story all year long. And I didn't once think like, maybe you should max this one out, like that they're going to show Taylor Swift yeah. a lot. Duh. Well, I think it hit in the third quarter. You have an automatic start of the game. You have an automatic watching uh, into the game and you have an automatic after the no, game. I'm devastated by now, it. 
It's, 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 it's truly like when I think back, uh, do you know, did you, you obviously watch the Sopranos, right? Uh, when there's yeah. that, I think it's the second last season when Tony gets the gambling addiction and he tries to borrow money from Carm to put it down on a big sports bet. And then <laughs> she, he wins the bet and she's like, oh, you should be happy. And he's like, I could have won more. And he's screaming at her. It's the most relatable moment of oh. Sopranos history is that's how I felt. Even though I had 10 units on the Chiefs and I was heavily yeah. leveraged. Oh, and I kept thinking about buying them like when they were big dogs, but I was like, I can't put more on the chiefs now. Like I can't, I can't in good conscience, but that's how I feel is like the chiefs well, bet I, and that. I, I was mad at you when I, when I saw the first drive by San Fran and then the first drive, I was like, this, this is going to be a blowout. Yeah. San Fran just same. looked so dialed in, so dialed in the fumble. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be ugly, but oh. fourth quarter, last drive. Who do you want the ball? No. I, I think Mahomes, I, I don't know if he wins seven rings like Tom Brady, but from what I've seen in his early career, he is, he is the best of all time that I have seen mm-hmm. um, in, in his young, young career. So I don't know if he wins seven, but man, I don't know if there's a guy I'd want with a ball uh, more than Patrick Mahomes. The only thing I'll say, because I, I, was, I was watching with a buddy of mine who's a Pats fan, like he was the one that hosted uh, the, the party I was at. Yeah. And he was rooting hard for the Niners, right? Because he's going, I don't want the compare to Brady talk. Like, I'm rooting for Brady's legacy. And I was trying to convince him that this is good for Brady because then he's talked about more and there's all this discussion. And yeah, uh, when the game ended, obviously, I start needling him because he's a Patriots fan. And so they're not even really used to it still. Like, they're still in this weird, like, processing phase of they, the Patriots fans are still reeling from all of the things that have happened in the last five seasons. But... I was telling him, Mahomes is the most talented out of, like, remember when we used to do Rodgers versus Brady? And it was, yeah. well, Rodgers is the most talented, but Brady's the greatest and whatever yeah. the hell that meant. Mm-hmm. But Mahomes is the Rodgers thing, right? Where it's, he's the most talented guy, but now he's pairing that with a winning. And now he's got yeah. the three Super Bowls. He's got the three Super Bowl MVPs. He's been to six conference championship games in six seasons. He's got like an eight, uh, 80% winning percentage in the playoffs. It's a little higher than that. The, the stats for him are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Brady does have the two wins against him in the playoffs, though. Beat him with the Patriots and beat him with, uh, obviously, Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. So, to me, it's, yeah, that, that's going to be, he'll, Brady's always going to have that, you know? Like, there's no Mahomes can go back and grab one of those things. Like, that'll always yeah. be there. So, I don't know. I think it's going to be a fun debate for all time. But to me, yeah, yeah. The, I, I think Mahomes, Mahomes is the greatest. Like, if, if I ever had to pick one guy, I'd probably pick him over Brady. But God, it was crazy watching that final drive, just feeling like this is the most Patriots thing ever is hang around the game. Don't really look all that great. Defense gets stops. Uh, chirping with people going, oh, is Brady all that great? Blah, blah, blah. Get harder to win when you can't cheat. And then all of a sudden he gets the ball in the final drive and you're like, this yeah. game is over. This is done. He is going to absolutely 100% yeah. punch this sucker in. Yeah, and it wasn't like bombs. It was a no. dink and dunk, and yeah. we can Tear go to the Atlanta, Atlanta up 28-3, and they come back and find a way and just masterfully just, just 10 Trend. yards, 15 yards, and just, just out out of bounds, stop the clock. Like, he's just mm-hmm. he, he, obviously un, unbelievable, but it's a fun debate. Two completely different quarterbacks, two completely different systems, two completely different coaches coaching these guys. So, uh it's just awesome having someone that's so good. And then the NFL's never been better with the talent at, at quarterback. I mean, there's so many great ones. And mm-hmm. I'm a Jets fan. Like, to get through the AFC, just to get through the AFC East, it's a little, 
it, it's pretty tough, right? Like when you got Miami and now New England knows what it is not to have a quarterback, but you got to go through Lamar, you got to go through Josh Allen, you got to go through Patrick Mahomes, like it, Joe Burrow, like you, so many quarterbacks you got to get through. And we have a guy that's 40 years old that we don't even know if he's going to have an Achilles next year. So you know what though, tough. yeah, that is tough. But that's that's that was my biggest feeling at the end of the game was, God, Mahomes. He had to go to Buffalo. He had to go to Baltimore. Baltimore yep. had their perfect team, right? Oh, yeah. Finally, ba- Buffalo was going to host you. Oh, the Niners this is their most complete team, and they finally have their quarterback in the Super Bowl, and oh, and they're in Las Vegas where they can get – there was way more Niners fans there, right? Like you could tell the way a call was going to go in the broadcast based on just the, the sound that, the, uh, that, the, that you were getting from the TV. Yeah. And this is the year where Mahomes just didn't have the pass catchers where he's making it work with a cast off from the Jets, right? Mikkel Hardman, what a fourth receiver. Uh, like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, a guy that we clowned on all year long. Uh, Travis Kelsey, who at moments this season looked like he was 100 years old, completely washed, completely done. An offensive yeah. line that was missing their pro bowler and that looked pretty suspect at times. And still he gets it done? And Listen, they give, a, they give away the most electric player in football in Tyree Kill. Yeah. And they it. win two Super Bowls. Right after. Yeah. Ugh. Like, come on. I know. Everybody like, else this is isn't fair. This is, now I'm depressed yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> come on, the J.D. Bunker yeah. show, uh, and we, will, uh, we uh, will make anyone depressed. Yeah, that's, that's probably true, yeah. That's that actually, uh, that, that's too real. That's too real. Uh, hey, buddy, <laughs> thanks as always for coming on. Congrats on the huge win, uh, and congrats to me too, because, yes, we, we never wavered. Never wavered on our chief. Never wavered, never wavered. Keep never up the good wavered. work, buddy. Talk yep. to you soon. See you, pal. Matthew Barnaby, uh, former NHL enforcer and uh, author of Unfiltered. Yeah, that's it. Um, I want more NHL rivalries. I don't want to see guys get cross-checked in the head. I don't think that I'm as uh, hurt by it as others seem to be whenever plays like that happen. I think if you try to piss somebody off and if you, let's put it, mess around, sometimes you find out, and that's what happened on this play. And now we wait the suspension but that's, that's where we're going to pivot now is, okay, we're done with, and I even feel late to this discourse, right? I, I, I imagine that any reasonable person has the same opinion as me. Like, I, I, I truly can't believe that there are people out there that's like, Greg shot it in the net like that, and he should have just been able to skate to the bench, and no one should have even grabbed him or tried to scrum because there's no rule, blah, blah, blah. Most reasonable people, I think, feel this way because it's really not that complicated. But now... Now we're waiting for the suspension. Now we're waiting for the repercussion. And for this Leafs team, if you would have put together a list of, hey, who can you not afford to lose? One would still be Matthews, no doubt. But two is Morgan Riley. Two is Morgan Riley. Matthews' line been dominant. It's nice to see Nyes get a goal. He and Marner feel like they've unlocked something a little bit better recently. But, yeah, losing Morgan Riley from that blue line and trying to, look, trying to squint and see how they're going to put these pairings together for five games, don't really love that. And, uh, yeah, I'm guessing five games. That's my guess. I think the over-under is four and a half, and you probably lean towards the over. Six Six feels excessive, again, for a guy with that track record. The premeditated thing is big, though, because, yeah, that's the... Obviously, if you're 
my age or older, you remember Bertuzzi. And that's the, the stuff they really want to get out of the game is, hey, did you think about it? Was it in the heat of the moment or did you think about it for a second? Um, luckily, the Leafs don't have the toughest stretch ahead. Although the Flyers are ahead of them in the standings now. But yeah, two games against the Blues, a game against the Flyers, game against the Ducks, three of which are at home. Although the Leafs haven't exactly been sterling at home. I think that they're now one game above 500 at home. Not if not if you're counting overtime losses. And then, yeah, game against the Coyotes. So if it's five, you're he'll be back in time for a Golden Knights game, which you'll absolutely need him in. But yeah, boy, points are... I don't think the Leafs are going to miss the playoffs, okay? I, I really don't. I just it, it would take a disaster from these guys. I think that they're too good. They'll they'll find their way to accumulate enough points. And more so, like, the teams below them don't really feel overly threatening, right? It's the Islanders that are that are looming underneath. Uh, the Flyers are there. Like, it just, it, it, it's not a, it's, it's not a scary enough group underneath the Toronto Maple Leafs. It would take the new 18-wheeler going off the cliff for these guys not to make the playoffs. But that's so clearly not the goal anymore, right? It's, it was supposed to be take care of business in this regular season, prove that you're different. I thought that this was going to be a different season for this team. Not sure I'm feeling that. Now, we talked about this last week, but you're supposed to be going out there and thinking about buying a defenseman right now. Oof. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's even more clear that this team just can only go out and get a guy that has term, a guy that they, a guy that they know that they can build around that's going to have an impact. This feels more and more and more and more like they're they got to be out on Chris Tanev. Anyway, yeah, I just thought that that game. Morgan Riley covered up for some tough plays by a blue line that is now going to get pretty paper thin. Tavares had chances in that game, but didn't capitalize early. Domi line gets one taken back and it was nice to see him get going, played over 17 minutes. That was a really nice storyline to see Max actually be rewarded for quality play and a reminder of what I think he can do when, when he does get those minutes. But they let Ottawa hang around. They give up a goal late in the period, which is just the same bugaboos that this team has had year over year. The blue line just making bad turnovers. Feels like a one-line team again, really, in terms of just who you trust to make an impact night in, night out. Ugh, big week. Sneaky big week for them. Like I said, not a, not a murderer's row. But now without Morgan Riley, oof, a stretch that you really, 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 really were hoping to take away a bunch of points. Anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. Like I mentioned, I got hammered for the halftime show. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about the halftime show. More fun stuff before I get to Brady Quinn and break down more of the actual football game. That's next. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. See, I love this song. I genuinely, last night, I'm watching the halftime show. I tweeted, worst halftime show ever because I, I can't remember one that left me as as underwhelmed as that and it blew up I couldn't believe it people I thought it would be like oh yeah kind of polar people loved that halftime show many people love that halftime show people need to start to this, this is my thought on this you can be an Usher fan like to a crazy degree like I said there were people that were like I can never see you the same way again this is your oh those were horrible take Seeking attention. Uh, I got called a racist like a thousand times. I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. 
I, I can see you could draw the line there. Uh, I very much am of the age of Usher. Like, I'm right in the millennial pocket of his entire career, right? Having the CD of him in the rain, tarps off, looking absolutely shredded. The, the longevity of him having, like, a super hunky body from whatever, like, age 17, 18 to 45, which he is there. I was like, that's an incredible feat for Usher. First of all, that's an unbelievable feat. Didn't like the halftime show. Didn't think that he carried it. Didn't think that it had a real presence to it. I like a halftime show where it feels like people are into it and they're singing along with the hits and it's, like, loud in the stadium and it's, it's, it rocks. And the girl that came out with the electric guitar, I was like, okay, it's the moment. Then he gets on the rollerblades and I went, this is the thing is two seconds of rollerblading is the big feature. Usher is an incredible dancer. I didn't feel like we got a blow away performance from him dancing wise. I didn't feel like he had the presence of a guy that was supposed to carry the halftime show. The only time it felt like a halftime show was at the very end when they sang, yeah. And then Luda comes out, Lil John's in the crowd. I was like, okay, this feels, this feels good. But it was already too late. It opened too slow. It opened too soft. Ah. Yeah. It, it just didn't, it didn't hit for me. I, I was very, very surprised that people loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And, like, Nick, you got after me. You were like, oh, Gen Z take. I was like, okay. Tell me what was so special about that. Like, again, the singing, nothing special. Like, did you think that there was a rendition of one of his songs where you went like, oh man, that was just unbelievable. Like how they did that. It was just fine. They stood on one platform. There was no real fireworks. The costume changes fine. Like I know I'm getting into the nitty gritty here, but what was so great about that halftime show? Honestly, like if you like Usher, then fine. You like Usher, but it, that's the best. That was the best he could do. Like, nah, Alicia Keys was the best part. Like, that was by far the best part. When she oh, hit the piano, I was like, look at this. This is unbelievable. She came to the rescue a bit. Yeah, she did. She bailed it crazy. out. Like, no, that was awesome. The dancing, the choreography. That was the chore amazing. But, but those are the baseline things. Yes, we're not I, saying that it's not. Like, the songs were just straight hits. Nah. Fire. What are you talking about? That was an amazing performance. Yeah. I wonder if each song was too short. Like some songs went for 15 seconds. You could barely get into the groove yeah, of them. They yeah, only got 15 minutes though. I know. So what? It's That's true. how everybody but operates. Everyone has to deal with that. It's a tight it's a tight window, but I wonder if you're better off just hanging on for that's, a song. That's a actually longer. a good point is that there's a lot of Usher songs that if you play the start of it or you jump in at a certain point, I'm like, what is this? And then you hear the hook and you're like, oh, okay. It's not like that was my thought when I watched Rihanna last year, which I, I really liked Rihanna's. It was, oh my God, this is her catalog too. Like she was just cramming the bangers in. Like, cramming them in there. And she's pregnant. And she's doing a high wire act. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. We had 50 Cent hanging upside down. You know? That, that's the bar. That's the bar here. Like, tell me the Super Bowl. Tell me the performance that we've seen, like, Lady Gaga's. Tell me the, man, every single Bruno Mars, right? Prince, the Prince. weekend running through the weird tunnel that we meme to death. Like, what is the memorable moment from this Usher halftime show that I'm really, like, you're going to carry with you? Like, remember when Usher, it's no, it's when Lil John popped up from the crowd and started doing yeah, and you're like, man, when's the last time I saw you? And, and it was Alicia Keys. Yeah, and it was him hugging Alicia Keys. Yeah, it's like, like but what, yeah, unfortunately, that's it. It's like, unfortunately. So what is it, Nick? What is the, what is the big memorable moment that I'm missing from Usher show. where he was like, oh, my God, Usher, wow. 
the fact that he did caught up firstly. No one, okay. nobody called that first. And yeah, that was a poor out. decision. No, I thought it was actually a great decision. It took t- right it took in. ten minutes to get. You were like, yeah, oh. I wouldn't say that. I mean, it, it started with that song, and then he went right into um, uh, "You Don't Have to Call," which is just nuts. But yeah, so. <laughs> I again, mean, if you're an okay. Usher fan, all you're saying is he played songs I like. It's like, duh. Of course, it's fine then. If your baseline, that, to you, want. your baseline was he couldn't <laughs> fail because he was going to sing his songs. Like, yeah, Usher was going to do Usher songs. But that's what you want, is it not? Like, isn't what do you that mean that's what you want? That's the, I think I, his best songs and put on a show, which he did. There's no question. No, I don't, I don't think that's my point, is I don't think that the put on the show part from Usher was like... Extraordinary. I didn't think that putting on roller skates for two seconds and going in a circle was. You did it on a budget? No, yeah, I just didn't. I didn't. Nothing about it moved me. It didn't feel like the whole crowd was just enamored by what was going on. That was my read. I went, this was by Super Bowl halftime show standards, just pretty mediocre. Pretty mediocre. It had nothing to do with the songs. It was everything. It was the stage presence. It was the dancing. It was the. It was all the things that you're mentioning. By Super Bowl standards, I went, this, this ain't it. Like if the if there were three people that were with you at the halftime show that I felt like had better moments, Ludacris, Alicia Keys, and Lil Jon, all to me had better moments than Usher. There wasn't like one spot where I was like, "Damn, that was really cool." Like, what was it? That's what I'm saying. The songs are fine. His catalog is undeniable. You don't get to the Super Bowl without having an unbelievable catalog full of actual bangers and hits. I'm saying the way that they did it, the way they pieced it together, song to song. Wasn't feeling it. He's wasn't loving it. He's an R&B singer, though. Like, let's face it here. What are we going to get out yeah, of Yeah, R&B. I was going to say, like, R&B that's... is a really tough genre to have at the Super Bowl. Like, that's I, I, I thought that, too. I was like, man, to be in his defense, like, what genre is tougher to execute? Like, it's, it's super easy when you're the rock band and you're like, here we go, solo, right? Some baby it, making music, like, right in the middle of the Super Yeah, Bowl. that's like, that's that's what I mean. It's like, maybe it was just partially that. Maybe it was just the fact that, I'm like, I'm watching the Super Bowl, and now it's like getting horned up for Usher. <laughs> that's his whole vibe. Just make everybody horny. That's Usher's, like, that's his number one calling card. Anyways, we got a break, but, yeah, I just, I didn't like it. I did not like it, but I could not believe that my opinion of a Super Bowl halftime show as a complete nobody being like, oh, here's my thought. This is what Twitter's for. We turned into people being like, get him. Get this horrible person. But then I should have known better. I should have known better. Anyways, uh, quick break. Let's come back and let's talk to Brady Quinn. It's crazy that Mahomes has cemented his legacy at, what, 27? I think he's 27. 28. 28 years old. Legacy in firm, firm, firm position. God, you already look at the accolades. It's just insane. Just pulling up, yeah, his his pages, and you're like, holy crap. What a list. What a list for Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, the GOAT conversation with Mahomes is going to dominate the discourse today. Kyle Shanahan, I think his legacy is probably going to be viewed number two. This is, yeah, here's my rankings of the, the narratives. One, Mahomes, GOAT talk. Two, Kyle Shanahan, choke talk. Three, should be Chiefs defense. You know, the Chiefs, Chiefs played four top six offenses in the postseason. Four. And those top four offenses averaged 
13 less points per game than they did during the regular season. And yeah, like, of course, some of that is playoffs, tightens up anyway. Of course, some of that is you played some crap teams in your regular season. You ran up the score in a couple groups, but think about the performances against those offenses. Like, the way they shut down a Miami team that for most of the season we went, or at least the beginning of the season we went, are they the best? Is, is Tua in the MVP conversation? Tyree Kill, is he in the MVP conversation? One of the, the, is he one of the greatest five receivers of all time? Like, where do we put Tyree Kill? They shut that offense down. Josh Allen, is this guy sneaky the MVP? Is this guy playing at a higher level than any quarterback in the NFL? Stop those guys. Meaningful moments. One in the second half. Made the adjustments. Took away the run game. Some drops. But still, that defense showed up. And then, boom. Ravens. The MVP. Lamar. So many different ways to beat you. Shut that offense down. Huge, game-changing plays. And I'm just saying that I'm going to remember the Super Bowl, obviously, as Mahomes is third. And I think, you know, 20 years from now, that's the way that most of us remember it is, hey, that's when he hit number three and that's when he entered that class with no, no pushback ever from anybody again. That, that the greatest of all time conversations could start and that, again, he cemented his legacy at 28 years old. But I really am going to remember Spagnuolo in the defense and just those massive plays, the two third and fours. The, I think it was McDuffie that came blitzed. I was like, that's the game, man. Niners picked up that third and four. At the end of the fourth quarter, and they're going to force the Chiefs to burn two timeouts. Even if they kick the field goal, Kansas City's going to have to go down the field with, what, under a minute and a half to play with no timeouts? I'm, I'm going to remember the plays that the, that defense made, the way that they held at the end of or at the beginning of the second half, the bend-don't-break elements of, of that group. Chris Jones getting six pressures in that football game, one of them in an absolutely critical moment again later in the third and four. That defense was special. That defense was incredible. And the way that they built this thing up that we all questioned and ended up working. Uh, one guy who absolutely knew that was the way that it was going to go because that was where he predicted the Chiefs would have their biggest advantage was uh, Brady Quinn. I uh, said it on Friday that this was Spagnola uh, versus Wilkes was the biggest discrepancy between the two teams. And yeah, it really felt like that thing showed up on, uh, on, on last night's game. No doubt about it. Right there with stepping up at all pro here, but Make case. Yo, Brady, we got to we got to reconnect. We got we got your phone. We got your phone on the walkie-talkie again. One sec, one sec. All right, reconnect with the walkie-talkie. It's okay. He's back. Is he calling back? Okay, yeah, call back. I don't know why Brady's phone sometimes is the first two dials. The first two seconds, I knew it right away. I was like, I could feel it. And I was like, that Vegas phone. That, that shaky Vegas phone. All right, let's try this again. All right, we believe in you. All right, sorry, we were talking about the defense and the discrepancy between the two of them. Yeah, no, I mean, I, better. I think if you, if you, we're a little bit better. Um, I, I think if you look at the entirety of the season, this was their most consistent piece. Like throughout all the drops, all the troubles offensively, the frustration at times they had, it was a defense that carried them along. And this game, to me, at least from the Kansas City perspective, was like watching the entirety of their season wrapped into one. Mm. It, like the first three quarters of the game, I was incredibly frustrated, probably the first half, with the play calling. And, I, and really, honestly, Patrick Mahomes' play. I thought he reverted back to what he was doing in the first half of the season where he was struggling to just kind of matriculate the ball down the field, take the check down, take down any throws, 
and it was pressing and felt like he needed to like take a shot or make something bigger happen. And it wasn't until they kind of had to, in particular in the fourth quarter, where he then started to just kind of take what was in front of him mm. and take the check down and take the easy completion. And, and it's just, again, wasn't my favorite, you know, game of his. He was good. He, he, he was great when he had to be. I think mm-hmm. that was the difference there. But it was their defense that threw out the frustration, whether it was Travis Kelsey on the sideline, frustrated he wasn't more involved after the big play of the Pacheco fumble, or Rishi Rice at his frustration at the end of the game because he is wide open, but instead we're targeting Travis Kelsey because Kelsey started to get hot, right? Yeah, I was like, shocked by that. Despite all the things, it was their defense that continually held the line. And that's why I keep going back to saying we can make this about Patrick Mahomes, we can make this about Andy Reid, their legacies what they mean all time and the greatest of all time conversations. I think Steve Spagnuolo needs to be part of that as well. Mm-hmm. And that defense, the way they play deserves a lot of credit. No, they absolutely do. I will say that I had the same feelings as you did when it came to Mahomes. And was like, I was saying it earlier in the show of if it kept going that way. And if it's maybe not for a ball that goes off of a special teams player's leg, we're having a completely different conversation tomorrow or today, but yeah, there's an alternate reality where Mahomes just looked exactly like the Mahomes at times in big games during the regular season. Like you said, it was a microcosm of their season. I, I feel like in a way it wasn't because when they needed to make the, the big plays on offense in this game, it felt like they were going to. Whereas during the regular season, I was like, I don't really have faith that this, that this team is going to be the same and that they're going to go down the field and they're going to do that. So credit to Mahomes for still having that element of when the chips are down, when the moment is at its highest leverage, that you still had that feeling of this guy is going to go down, this guy is going to make plays, this guy is going to solve this, this Niners defense. But no, yeah, I, I do think that the story of the game was the defense. And, you know, you had made the point on Friday, and I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't feel qualified to answer it, but the whole Spagnola is one of the greatest coordinators of all time. I feel like that's, that's got to be on the table now. Like that defense, the, the, the narratives of him and Chris Jones, and by the way, Chris Jones needs to get paid this offseason, which is going to be pretty interesting because he's 29 years old and I don't know how cap space stuff works. But yeah, the, to me, the, the story of the game outside of the Mahomes clutch was unquestionably just how beautifully that defense played in massive, massive moments. The question is, do you, do you agree with Kyle Shanahan the way that he played against that defense, his game plan for that defense? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I did because I thought he was aggressive. I mean, he took shots. Like, if, if we really want to talk about outside of the defense and their, their comparison, which, you know, I want to go back to something you said, like, Steve Wilkes did a good job adjusting. You know, as much as I want to say you know, it was partially Mahomes, maybe the game plan I didn't like from KC, you know, they did a better job of trying to take away Kelsey early and trying to take away some of the productivity and finding ways of getting pressure on Mahomes. So I do want to give the 49ers a lot of credit, and even Steve Wilkes, for changing up the, even the amount of man coverage he, he ran throughout the course of the game uh, that I think helped you know, slow down the Chiefs offense. But, but the other biggest difference is, and I would disagree with this, like even the course of the regular season, still Patrick Mahomes, end of the mm-hmm. game, don't care how the offense is going you still give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's the status he's on right now. Mm-hmm. Is if you play the Chiefs, you play Patrick Mahomes, you believe, very similar to when you were playing Tom Brady, like, I can't give him the ball back because he's going to make a play to help yep. either extend the game or win the game. And that's the biggest other difference on the field. Brock Purdy played, played okay. When he had the shots downfield, there was one to IU, got behind the defense, got turned around, overthrown. Even with Chris Jones, the pressure in his face, Debo towards the end of the game, overthrew it. There were a number of throws where there were opportunities there, and he just couldn't deliver. You know, his legs weren't as big of a part of this game as they had been in the past. And again, give, give Spagnola and the Chiefs a lot of credit um, for forcing him to have to win a duel from the pocket 
against Patrick Mahomes because who's going to win that? Nobody. Mm. And so that would, if that's the game plan, so be it. But there were plays to be made. There were throws to be made. And at the end of the day, like, if you look at this 49ers roster, there's not many of the places where you're saying, like, we really need a big upgrade here. Like, this is a problem. This is an issue. The, di- the difference is at the end of the game, when Patrick Holmes needed to make a play or plays to win the game for his team, he did. You know, can Purdy do that consistently? No, not, not, not to beat Patrick Mahomes. And that's the NFL era that we're living in right now. Mm. And that's what every team has to deal with. I think there's other teams that do have those guys. They just need a little better collective effort from the, from the pieces around them. See, I feel like that's such a hard bar, though, right? Because it's like, could Purdy match the play of Mahomes? It's like, no, you, you're not going to be able to match the play of Mahomes. But, like, you look at this game, and they average 4.5 yards per attempt in the air, which is lo- much lower than what they did all season long. And so, like, yeah, okay, again, Spagnola. And this is another game, though, where Kyle Shanahan is up double digits and he doesn't get it done. It felt like McCaffrey maybe didn't have as much of a presence that, you know, you, you referenced those couple of plays where they, they made the attempts at the splash plays and they, you know, Purdy sails the one Tayuk, which is the, probably the most memorable of them all. But yeah, so you felt like, yeah, they, they did enough in terms of trying to make explosive plays. Cause that's what I think of with the Niners and their, their season is they had just so many guys that could burn you for massive plays. If you would have told me like that, they wouldn't have uh, like a, a huge play down the field in this football game. I would have, I would have absolutely bet against that. lose him yeah lost Brady try to get him back in a second here I I thought that the Niners could have been a little bit more aggressive I would have I, I, I was surprised that they actually didn't end up taking more big plays down the field that and again maybe maybe this is a Brock Purdy issue Brady knows much better than I do there were moments though where I felt like okay they've they've kind of got their guy in Brock Purdy this he doesn't feel like he's killing him Never had that backbreaking moment, but yeah, I just I thought that that there had to be more explosive plays for the Niners to win that football game, and they just didn't have them. I just I I couldn't tell if this was the defense or if this was the offense. But yeah, like I was just saying that they only averaged four point five yards per attempt down the field. Shanahan does you know blow another double digit lead, which is now his legacy in big games. It's four of them. How how much do you lay at his feet? Um, honestly, I don't lay much at all. Um, I thought that was about of his good of a game plan as you, as you could have had. Like the only, like you talked about the Trent McDuffie batted pass in third and four. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking at that scenario thinking in my head, maybe you hand it off here to McCaffrey for starters. He was running the football effectively when they needed him to down that stretch. But the other important thing it would have done was it took away one more timeout from the chiefs and from Mahomes. And if you then re, if you then fast forward to what that series looks like, maybe it plays out different, but at, at the end of it, you know, they, they were kind of floppy with some of that as far as the, the time management once they got into plus territory. And I, I don't know, maybe that scenario ends up playing out a little different. There's more stress on the Chiefs if they don't if they only have one timeout as opposed to two going into that drive. So that was that was one, uh, one play call. I was a little bit, all right, like I wonder how this plays out. But outside of that, I thought he was aggressive throughout the game. I thought he had pretty big stones to, you know, throw a double pass uh, to Juwan Jennings, who ends up kind of breaking things open and really mm-hmm. giving – San Francisco, some momentum there. Um, I, I thought he called a really good game. I don't know that there's anything you're going to take away from this and say, oh, yeah, it was, you know, Kyle Shanahan not being aggressive enough or not running the football enough. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but the fourth quarter of that game, I, I didn't think that San Francisco was going to be able to be stopped. Mm-hmm. And I think the credit just belongs to Steve Spagnuolo and that defense, the way those guys played, to be able to give Mahomes the opportunity to have one more shot to drive back down the field. And, and look, the PAT 
everyone's going to point to and say, hey, that was the difference because then we're looking at a Chiefs team that has to get, you know, score a touchdown in regulation to win it. Mm-hmm. And that may be the case. I, I didn't, you know, they kept saying it was a low kick. It, it looked a little low. It also looks like a decent amount of penetration too. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to make too much of that one particular play, but clearly that had a huge, you know, outpack in the, or, uh, you know, impact on the outcome in the end when it was all said and done. So I had a couple that I was like very, and, and I did it in the moment. So, and I like wrote them down. I thought that Shanahan should have gone for it in overtime uh, when it was the the other fourth and four. And, and I know they hadn't converted it, but I was just thinking, you know, you said it. You got Tom Brady. You got the new Tom Brady on the other side of the field. The the feeling was to me, you got to you gotta go for this. You, you got to try and get this punched in. And I also don't know why they decided to receive. Like, they, you saw a bunch of Niners players saying that they didn't know the rules or that there wasn't enough of a discussion. And that seems to be a bit of the point of controversy for them. And so, yeah, I wonder. I, I guess why was that an issue for you? For why they didn't go for it or why they received no. Why they received. Well, I didn't like it because I want to be able to know what you need in the game. Like, I'd rather have them go down the field, and if they, they kick the field goal, I have the opportunity to go close, like either tie it, or if I need to know, I'm getting the four downs, essentially. Like, I just, I feel like you have such a bigger advantage being the second team with the football now that we, both, now that we know everybody gets an opportunity with it. Yeah, to some degree, right? But then if you can always tie it, and then the next team has the opportunity to then go win it. Another thing I'd say in his defense was that Kansas City defense was gassed. Mm-hmm. They looked gassed towards the end of the game. It's in particular when San Francisco started to find their rhythm in the fourth quarter. And so I don't blame it at all for feeling that, hey, if we get the ball, we're going to drive right down the field, we're going to go score, and then we're going to go get a stop, and the game's over. Because it kind of felt like towards the end of the game in regulation, it had that feel. I mean, even as, as Mahomes got into plus territory, I was like, the way this thing's going, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get in field goal range. And they're relying heavily on Butker in order mm-hmm. to even extend this game right now with the way they played it. So I had no issue whatsoever. It's obviously not a scenario that uh, you play out very often. Cause I think the, the tough thing is, is San Francisco is not built to sit there and say, let's go four wide, five wide and go sling it around. If we need to, you know, I'm, I'm not sure the, the extra down is it's valid. And I think that's what everyone would use in that standpoint as an argument, but you know, also momentum and also where they were coming off in the fourth quarter, it, it seemed like they had Kansas city's, their defense, their number a little bit, at least that, that that group is getting worn down. I just felt like once they kicked the field goal, the game was over. Like I just, I, I had no doubts or reservations in my mind that Mahomes was going to go down, know the situation. One was going to be able to at least get them a field goal, right? Like they, I, I think that Butker now has jumped Justin Tucker in terms of being the, the kicker that I would most trust with my life with a big kick. Like he just, you know, the, the 55 yarder, which was also insane. Like if we're talking about crazy swing moments in the game is somehow that ball made it through like, Two hands, like laser beam through the middle of, like that was also a low kick. That was a line drive and it found its way through. But I just like, I was like, man, Bucker is going to be able to either tie this thing up. They're going to continue to extend this or they're going to go down here and they're going to put this away. It's, it's just, it's Patrick Mahomes. So you didn't, you didn't think like, Hey, you never had a moment where you were like, Hey, go for this. You just thought, Hey, right away, kick the field goal, take the points in OT. At that point, yeah, yeah, it didn't really bother me because they, you know, it wasn't like they were converting at a high clip anyway throughout mm-hmm. the game on third down. Yeah. And so I'd rather take the points and then sit there and say, oh, now all we need is just Mahomes to drive down and get a field goal for Butker for the exact reason you just said. I mean, Butker's launching him. He's kicked a scud missile and the one you referred to. But the rest of him, he's got a big leg. So then now you're talking about a really short field for him mm-hmm. uh, to go back, to lead him back down the other way. So I, I think you've got to take the points when you can and just hope and pray your defense can make something happen or Mahomes makes a mistake, which again, 
he didn't play the best of games in particular in the first half. Mm-hmm. I mean, the interception, I'm not sure if that was just a poor overthrow or, you know, and he wasn't trying to target Kelsey or, or who it was even to at that yeah, point. Yeah, it was a bad but, throw. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I think your, your chances are you take the points, you get a lead, and you hope that you can find a way of stopping Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, I thought the other part of this, though, the beginning of the game is the Chiefs script everything to start, right? Obviously not the third down plays when you get into third and long, but... You know, they, they script the opening drives of those games. It's a lot of Andy Reid. What did you what did you think of just like the way that they tried to attack the Niners? Was that like that slow start to you seems like it was more on Mahomes than anybody else? I think they overthought things. I mean, you only had one target and one catch for Kelsey in the first half. And I'm watching it going like, hold on a second. You can move him around and do enough things with him to get him the football, whether it's on a, a quick screen or even an RPO stuff we've seen them do all the time mm-hmm. and, and I was frustrated because I'm like it's not like Steve Wilkes was, especially on early downs was taking him away and I think one of the things that benefited the Chiefs the most was the, was the Drake Greenlaw injury mm. which was terrible to see and, and you feel awful for him but as soon as Oren Burks goes in the game now he's the target mm-hmm. and at times they utilized that matchup in the second half they were you know they, they, they found some productivity with it but they almost got away from it too much like I, I went back and looked through Isaiah Pacheco's rushes. He had 18 rushes in the game. Mm-hmm. 11 of them were on first down. First and goal, first down, whatever it was. We're on first down. And, and I, to me, I'm like, dude, sometimes that's the best down to throw the football. And it, it almost was like, at times, they really wanted to set the precedent. Like, they're going to try to run the football. They're not going to let these edge rushers just scream a field. And the reality was, I, I still think you can accomplish that by having a, a few of those quick, short passes that you get the ball to Kelsey out in space and get him more involved in the game. Like, I almost feel like they hurt themselves with the way they started the game and tried to, like, avoid targeting him more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed like it was like the Rishi Rice show. He was mm-hmm. carrying the football. They're moving around in different spots. I mean, he's been a good player as a rookie, but I'm not sure he's ready to take over like that. Yeah, man, the green laundry was another one. Just huge for the Niners. I just, I, I feel, I, well, I don't really feel for the fans because I root for the Seahawks, but I just, I, I know how I would be treating this game if I was one of them, just all of the different moments in this one where you're going, man, if this had just been different, had we just done this, had this just happened, there's like seven or eight of them where it's like, yeah, Miss PAT, the, 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 the punt, the, the two third and fours, just so many, the Butker nailing it from 55 and it going right through the, yeah, just right through your two defensive players. So, so, so many chances. But the Greenlaw one, I think, was a little overlooked because all of a sudden the middle of the field did seem open. So with the, with the Niners now, do you think the window, like is next year the window? Because they're way over the cap. They've got to figure some stuff out in terms of the way that they're going to balance this thing. They're going to have the green laundry that they've got to deal with. They've got the weight of all of these losses around their shoulders, which I, I do wonder how that's going to impact them moving forward. There's a couple of guys that are getting a little long in the tooth um, who have had injury histories in the past. Like, what, what is your thought on the Niners window now moving forward? It's funny. It's, like, it's exactly what we talked about last week on Friday. Like, this is where, you know, who's the pressure on more? The 49ers. Because mm-hmm. win or lose, they're going to be facing this situation as to whether or not they could remain intact and keep this group together given the cap situation. I mean, the good thing is you have Purdy in a contract for two more years, but even, you know, after this year, you're probably going to start thinking about doing something with this contract mm-hmm. if you like him that much. So they're in a tough spot. They, they really are. I think they've got this, you know, year of time to, you know, try to extend guys, try to keep guys, and then maybe kick the can down the road with some restructuring. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I think in, in looking at what this, you know, what Purdy's deal is going to look like, and they could even, you know, kick it, you know, two years down the road with him, 
and really go the franchise tag route. Obviously, he's got no control to get out of it. I think they can, they, can, they can agree to that big, big long-term deal if he's proven it by that point, which may be the way they end up going. But regardless, I, I, I kind of just sit here and go, yeah, it's, it's hard when you build and construct a roster like that to be able to keep it all together. And that's one of the reasons why if you don't feel like you have a guy that can compete with Patrick Mahomes, you got to go find one. Hmm. I mean, it, there's a reason why they took Trey Lance where they did. They thought he had some of those traits and abilities. Now it turned out not to be the case. But, you know, if, if you're – I mean, Kyle Shannon talked to Tom Brady before the season. Mm-hmm. Who's the only guy to beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs? Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. You know, at least you're talking about, like, goats like that and, and the Super Bowl. So, I'm looking at it saying, like, I wonder if they contemplate that to some degree. It sounds crazy, but, you know, th- this is a team that's, like, on the cusp, and I think they've got a small window of time to figure out how to restructure some of this moving forward. Uh, but they got a lot of question marks. I mean, the best piece of their offensive line is Trent Williams. He's getting way long in the tooth. Yeah, I think he's 36 yeah, he's next year. Yeah. And, 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 can, and by the way, McCaffrey was healthy. Yeah. With the workload that he had, he was 100% healthy. That hasn't been the case. You know, hopefully that will be the case. So it, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough. I mean, the good thing for them is they've drafted well. They have, they've been able to develop well. Um, so they'll still be in the mix. But I, I think a lot of it, is, I'm kind of curious to see who they decide to kind of keep it around and how they decide to restructure all these things to, to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the crazy one is I, I had the thought of, I wonder if Kittle is one of the guys that just goes, where they say we can't afford to, to keep him, and yet he feels like such a heart and soul piece of their team. But yeah, when you're looking at it, it's just like they're going to have to make a, a tough decision or two. And maybe the restructuring works, but yeah, it's a, it's a roster that does have those questions. Okay, you, you did say it, and we do have to ask you. So he, Brady did beat him twice, and Mahomes can never get those back. Um... Brady's longevity, obviously, is going to be really, really, really difficult for Mahomes to match. But I do feel like the case now is you've got the most talented guy ever who is now one of the great winners ever. Where, where do you weigh in on the, the greatest of all time debate between those two now? I mean, it's still Tom. It's just, you know, Mahomes is on that pace, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at Super Bowls won by this age and the, the path that he's taken so far is even better than what Tom was able to accomplish. But it's hard. I mean, no, I have a hard time believing the Chiefs will be able to replicate all the division titles and be able to get to, you know, six and, and, and even go to nine, you know, which to me is just a ridiculous number when you think about all those years, um, you know, for, for Brady and Belichick. So uh-huh. we'll see. I mean, look, again, Andy Reid, I guess, sounds like he's, you know, coming back. He's getting up there in age. 65. Kelsey sounds like he wants to come back. You know, all that sounds good. But they've got to continue to keep building on this thing. I think, I think the crazy thing is this is probably the least, I don't want to say least talented, but this was not the best Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl winning team. No. This is probably the third best, right? Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And I, I, think, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, though, they, went, they had the most difficult path they've ever had with this team, which is a scary thought in the future. Like, you face Tyreek Hill in really, really tough weather conditions, albeit at home, but still, like, in those conditions, you find a way of winning that. You go to Buffalo. You go to Baltimore. You beat two of the best quarterbacks in the game. And then you beat the favorite, which, by the way, odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl next year, San Francisco 49ers, last time I checked. So you went through everyone's best, and you still won, uh-huh. which See, is scary if you're anyone else in the NFL at the yeah, end of 2024. Th- that's it, too. I read, too, yesterday that this was actually the season where Mahomes' cap hit was the highest. Like they're they're going to have more cap flexibility moving forward here, 
because of the way that his contract is structured. And and again, they got to figure out Chris Jones. Well, and they can restructure it. He's the mortgage company. They can yeah. restructure it however they want. Yeah. Like there are there are no concerns yeah. or liability when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Like it really comes down to the Hunt family how flushed they are with cash. Mm-hmm. Cuz you can ex- extend him out as long as you want. Give him an astronomical signing bonus to appease him so the next 3 4 years you can keep building around him and, and, and extended another five, six more years on whatever's left of it now. Mm-hmm. It was a 10 year deal initially. I mean, you, literally like, are there any concerns if you sign Patrick Mahomes until he's 40 years old? No. I mean, only he would be the one concerned by that, Mm-mm. but like there's no issues there. I mean, if you, you just have to be the hunt family. You can't be cheap and you have to be willing to say, we're going to throw a bunch of cash at all these guys, Chris Jones and Travis, whoever else we want to keep. So we can structure everything else around these guys. You know, keep Jerry Sneed, who's who's getting they got to figure out in the offseason. Mm-hmm. So there's there's all this, you know thoughts and considerations, but he's your mortgage company. Like yeah. I, honestly, like I, I don't know that there's a figure you could pay him. I mean, it's probably some figure, but if he's making seventy million a year, like okay, he, he's he's the best player on the face of the planet. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with overpaying Patrick Holmes. No. I I would a hundred percent do that if you could do that tomorrow. Like that is, that is the the certainty. And that's just a, like what you said is perfect, right? Where it's like this was the year. This was the year where they were vulnerable. This is the year that you and I talked a million times about. They just didn't have it. This was the year too. Even like, man, I, I think about the the game. Right? Is Kelsey has a moment where he goes over to Andy Reid and he almost knocks him over. And I'm like, holy crap. This is intense. And even, you know, you brought up the Rishi Rice play where he doesn't get the look in the middle of the field at the end of the game. They throw to Travis Kelsey instead of him, and he's jawing at Mahomes. And I'm going, that's a rookie wide receiver. And they're throwing to Miko Hardman and MVS, and there's just, like, nobody there. Maybe, 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 maybe there's, like, more of a drop-off in Kelsey's play eventually. But it's just, it's hard to envision them ever having a worse group of pass catchers. It's, ever, it's hard to envision them ever having to go on the road through you know, four of the top six offenses in football or having a path that's that difficult again. And just here they are doing it. I don't know. I, I feel like if he gets three in a row, something Brady never did, and he has four, I'm not sure I need to see him get seven for, for me to think like, okay, he's the greatest of all time. We could probably end up splitting it where you go like Brady ends up being the greatest winner, the greatest longevity. But yeah, Mahomes to me, it's like it's, it's there on the table for him where to me it's, it's one more, it's next year, and I, I got to give it to him. I just, I, I have to. I mean, again, I still don't think I'd be ready to do that yeah. yet, only because you know Brady beat him head to head. Yeah, but I, no. but I'm with you in regards to what their roster looks like. I mean, again, that's the scary thing is is this team if they can stay intact and move forward, they're only going to get I would think better. The defense is going to keep maturing and they're going to keep you know filling out this roster with more and more depth. I mean, remember they were without their mm-hmm. All Pro guard Joe Tooney. Mm-hmm. I would suspect the offensive line play is going to get better this offseason. Both tackles struggled. Donovan Smith struggled. Juan Taylor struggled. And that's probably the one thing that we know we haven't touched on. The officiating was fine. Like, I hope there's not too many people who are frustrated with some of the calls. You know, like the, whole, the, the lack of holding on the Bosa play, okay, go turn the tape the other way. There was a couple calls, too, that I thought on, on Karloftis uh, and Chris Jones. You're like, ah, it could have been holding, uh-huh. right? But they let them play. They didn't really call until the end of the game or got a little tighter. That's fine. But the officiating, uh, the officiating was not an issue. And I think Bo- it was pretty fairly officiated from both sides of it, at least in my opinion. I thought it was great officiating. Uh, and, like, here's the thing. People are, are – they've already made up their mind going into this thing about it being rigged or not or the refs being bad or pulling poorly. And, of course, this ends up happening. So, 
I think you just already have the people who had their mind made up. But I, I think the the best marker you can have for officiating is there wasn't a call that was made in the game where I felt like, boy, they really screwed that one up. Like, boy, that right. was the the biggest call of the game was probably it was overtime, right? When it was third and thirteen, and they they called a holding penalty, and I think it was on McDuffie, and uh, yeah, the defensive holding penalty, and I went, you have to call that. Like what? he he grabs him, yeah, you know. Yeah. I was just going to say, by the way, right, and, and I think Philly fans will tell you, well, hey, wasn't Kansas City the beneficiary of, of a call like that you uh-huh. know, last year's Super Bowl? And it's funny because I watched and I thought, all right, like probably should call that, but they've been letting him play like the entire game. Like yeah. they would have let that go. And like that's kind of the status quo, you know, for how this game's gone so far. So I, I didn't have an issue with them actually making that call, but I wouldn't have had an issue if they didn't only because – it was actually out of the ordinary of, yeah. of how the rest of the field was being played. But the biggest, but that's what, but even still the biggest play of the game went against the chiefs. Yeah. Like th- there wasn't a bigger call that was for them. Right. Like, unless I'm missing something, I don't remember like a crucial call that was, boy, that was, that was pretty suspect in favor of Kansas city. Like, do you like, am, what am I yeah. missing on it? I, I don't remember what that call the, was. The only, the only play I thought should have probably been reviewed. And I believe based on the time it would have had to have been challenged because it was outside of the two minutes, was the Kyle Juszczyk catch, which I know the rules changed, right? It's two feet, and then they look at it, the reach being the football move. Yeah. And so they're already granting you possession of the ball. So let's just go back to the annals of time. Like the Des Bryant catch was no catch. It was, in essence, the same exact thing as what we just saw from Juszczyk. Yeah, Des Bryant tweeted that. now a catch, which it's funny because I watched it and I go, okay, I understand the intent because they're saying he had possession of it as he was spinning, then reaching. The problem with it is, at least with the rule change, I was, I was like curious when this would pop up to have this discussion is okay, but you still have to survive the ground. And I don't care if you're reaching or not. If you lose possession of it at some point, like it's incomplete, it's considered a fumble. It's there's a, there's a lot of things that you could, you know, throw into that category. Right. And, that, and that's it's no different if you're, you know, again, reaching towards the end zone. And if mm-hmm. the ball ends up being fumbled out of the end zone, the loss of possession at that point, right? I guess they're how they're looking at it. So I, I, I kind of, I go back and look at that rule and I think, I, I'm not so sure they got that right. Like I, I kind of looked at the Kyle Juszczyk play and I'm saying it should be on the onus of the player to maintain possession of the ball as they're going for that first down marker or for the end zone. If that's mm-hmm. how we're going to, if that's how we're going to make these rules, then in that in that case, I would have I would have actually said I would have been okay if they would have reviewed it, went back to the old rule and said it was incomplete. You know, I, I didn't feel like he I thought he had possession, but he didn't maintain possession because he was going to the ground. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it was all muddled together. That was probably the only again, you know, um potential play that should have been challenged or controversial, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of moved on through it pretty quick and Gene's territory kind of just hey, this is the new rule change, this is what they're saying now. I just I don't know if I agree with that being the proper way of looking at those plays. Well, it was a little strange though, just because the Chiefs ended up calling a timeout there, right? Like there was a stoppage in play, and they just didn't decide to challenge it. Uh, I think that's what happened. No, I actually thought they ran a play after that. I thought they got a playoff pretty quick. Cool oh, okay, because I, I just I remember thinking like, okay, maybe you challenge this. I will say that in the moment, to me, it just it did feel like a catch or like that there wasn't enough anyways to overturn it. And had they overturned it. That's when the conspiracy, the conspiracy theories would have come out of the woodwork had they overturned that one. I'm glad it just it just went away and it didn't end up actually having like a material impact on the game because those are the ones that are the worst. I hate, 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 hate 
coming in after a massive playoff game and feeling like one fan base will never let go a review like that. The cameras that the, yeah, the cameras didn't decide the outcome of the football game. So I'm glad it didn't end up going that way, but I'm, I'm with you that at least it did feel close. Uh, Hey dude, this was a great season. Um, I really enjoyed obviously having you on every single Monday to be able to chop it up with me. Uh, hopefully we end up doing this again next year. Yeah, I'd love to. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been, it's been fun all year long. And then, like I said, when it comes around to the draft, let me know. We yeah, of course. Oh, no, you'll definitely be on during the draft. Uh, uh, Brady Quinn, former NFL QB and uh, show insider. Thanks for doing this, man. Take care. Um, you. See you, buddy. Sounds like he's laying that game a little bit more at the feet of Brock Purdy. I don't know. It feels a little unfair maybe because he's, I don't view him as Mr. Irrelevant anymore. Like I, I think that's kind of tired. He's established himself to me as a, as a good quarterback. Like this has been the whole discussion of the entire year is what is Brock Purdy? Who is Brock Purdy? How much is it the Niners? How much is it Kyle Shanahan? How much is it actually Purdy? I thought that he looked pretty poised in that football game. Like there weren't a lot of moments where I thought, Hey, Brock Purdy looks really bad here. Or he made a horrific decision here. Took care of the football, never killed him with a play took his check downs, avoided some pressure in some pretty key moments. Like again, Chris Jones had six pressures in that football game. Didn't get a sack. I thought Brock Purdy did a good job overall. If the bar is you got to be better than Mahomes, it's like, well, then you're never going to win anything. Like you're never, the only bar to me you can set that to is the guys in the AFC that we try to compare to him, which is Burrow, which is Lamar, and Allen. Those are the only guys where I'm going, hey, you, you got to kind of, you, you got you to play better than Mahomes today. And especially, again, this year where it's, you're in your home stadium and you've got your set of receivers that you wouldn't trade for Mahomes' set of offensive weapons. But, yeah, to me, it just, I don't know. I guess that's, that's the one part of the game I think Brady and I disagree on is I, I do lay it a little bit more at the feet of Kyle Shanahan. I didn't feel like the game plan was aggressive enough from them. I did think that there, there were too many... <sighs> there wasn't enough explosion down the field and they didn't do a good enough job adjusting to all the pressure that Kansas city was bringing all game long, because that is what they did. Pressure, 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 pressure. And yeah, Kyle Shanahan, I know he's well-respected. I know that he's revered. He's still a guy that if I was drafting a team today and I had to pick a coach, I'd probably based on his age and ability, pick him first overall. Everybody loves Kyle Shanahan. I don't think they want him to have that label of a choker, but bro, you've lost four, You've lost four championship games where you had double-digit leads. Hard to ignore that. Anyways, let's wrap up the show with what we missed. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. By the way, I ate a ton of food at the Super Bowl party I was at. It was great. My friend John, great, incredible cooking as always. Barbecue, just oof. wings and ribs and all of it. And yeah, it's going to be a disaster for me for the next couple of days. Gastro... I can never get that word right. I don't know how to close that. I did get caught up in the chit-chat, though, at times, and I was very hyper-aware of it. Like, now, after we had the, the Super Bowl conversation going in, like, one guy was trying to talk to me about the history of Hungary, and I was like, not now. <laughs> Normally, I would love this conversation. But I really want to watch the Chiefs. I just want to watch this football game. I was note-taking like a madman. I was a little more, yeah, quiet. Focus on the game. I did a good job avoiding the chit-chat, but at times I was getting caught up with it, and I was like, this is what Mad Dog Russo was talking about. Too much chit-chat. Too much chit-chat. Anyway, um, Friday, I went to the Raptors game, sat up close. I was, di- <sighs> I was disappointed that 
the new guys didn't play. I got to say, I'm going tonight and I'll see the new guys play. And yeah, I'm going to see them versus Wemby. Whatever. I had better seats for Friday's game. Oh, so I was going to say, where? Where are you sitting? You said up close? Like where? Yeah, I was like, mm, like only a couple rows back from the Raptors bench. That's fire. 118. Damn. Yeah. That's nice. I can't sit in crap seats. I hate it. I don't know where the seats are tonight because they were they were worked out through a second party. So whatever you can when you get the tickets from someone, then you can't complain. But when you pay, you gotta, especially now where it's like I feel as though if you're if you're sharp, you can end up getting good value if you you play the game right. If you play the game right, you wait for the proper time and you understand the the value of each section. They were pretty pricey for sure, but yeah, I thought they were really good value, but. It sucked that Fred didn't play. You put in our doc, though, that it was a muted uh, return. Like, he didn't play, so. Yeah, no, I just meant with the reception. I thought it was, like, what the broadcast showed. Like, not everyone was clapping. Oh, it was a standing O. He got two of them. I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like it was, like, loud enough or long enough. It's not a big deal, but I just just kind of noticed it. First of all, the guy, when he walked into the arena... And he walked down the tunnel. There were a lot of people that noticed him, and it, it got pretty loud when he first even entered the. Yeah, he he showed up. Then they took the time. They threw up the graphic for him. It wasn't like an out of this world celebration, but it was a good one, and it got him time. He walked around like and faced every part of the the stadium and gave everybody like a. He did the heart hand over his heart. And then hand towards the crowd, hand over the heart, hand towards the crowd. There was no, there was no Freddie chant or anything. There was no chant. It was just loud clapping, but it was a standing ovation. I don't know. I thought it was totally appropriate. Totally okay. fine. You were there. You were there. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was fine. I didn't I think just it, like, this is the lead. No. This guy has the record for most assists and most points. And he helped us win a champion, like in a single game. I mean, uh, for I the Raptors. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So I don't know. I just felt there was a Eh, It doesn't come across the same on the broadcast. I don't know. I thought it was fine. And, yeah. I don't want to watch fans or anything and, like, critique fans. You do what you got to do. It was fine. It was fine. It was actually, it was a weird game because for the most of it, it was kind of crap. It wasn't, it was just the Rockets sucked. And then all of a sudden, it was the fourth quarter and you're three beers deep. You're like, why, what's happening? How are they, Dylan Brooks getting the basket and just, Yeah. I wish Bo. I I didn't get a chance to see Boban play more, but it is so great watching Boban. Is like I, I'm going to see Wemby tonight, but Boban's so great when you're with other people because you can just be like, look at that guy's hands, and then you show the picture of the hands, and everyone's invested in Boban immediately. You don't need stats. Well, it's just he's the easiest person to involve with like casuals, where you go, that guy was in John Wick. Look, he can dunk without jumping. <laughs> he's got the biggest hands on planet Earth, and yeah, look at him standing there. He's just a yeah, he's a marvel. He's a marvel. I can't wait for Wemby tonight. I cannot wait to see Wemby play live. I really hope the seats are at least close to where I was so I can really take in, you know, the the magnitude of him. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think there is clearly a massive difference with I always watching pro sports in person and basketball when you're up close and just realizing how massive these guys are. But when you have videos of who it was Giannis, right? Who walked by Wemby the first time they played and he's like looking up at him and he does the face. Joel, oh, no, it was Joel Embiid. Yeah, it was Embiid. Yeah, yeah. It's like Embiid is seven Huge. foot two. <laughs> yeah. And he's looking up at that guy going like, holy crap, look at this alien. So I can't wait. I can't wait to see the alien. I, I really can. I hope he has an awesome game and just a monster performance. And yeah, uh, 
Spurs past versus present. Pirtle versus Wemby. Good trade wraps. Um, okay, what else? Another uh, Raptors mm-hmm. all-time great point guard, Kyle yeah. Lowry. He's going back home, going to the 76ers. I was wrong. I was really wrong because remember when he got released, I was live. And I said, I can't see it being the Sixers. Granted, I didn't know the new rule of you have to go somewhere that is under the, the luxury cap threshold. That's brand new this season. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, I wasn't aware that he couldn't just go sign with wherever he wanted. I thought that maybe he would go somewhere where there was less of a blocked opportunity for him. But I said at the time, I can't see them moving off of Pat Bev because it really does seem like he has chemistry with Joel Embiid. And he's a guy that famously has been liked by Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey likes Pat Bev. He just, he seemed as though he was, listen, Beverly is obviously very outspoken and his, his personality is out there. He's had his takes like I'm better than Chris Paul or whatever. You know, he has his, he has some tough opinions, but there are times where I feel like Pat Bev becomes a bit of a distraction, right? Like remember the stuff with OKC when he started, he hurt Russell Westbrook. I'm like, dude, come on. This is too much. If you're on a bad team with Pat Bev, even some of the (laughs) stood on the table for the Timberwolves, he's, He's a bit of a polarizing presence, for sure. I could see how he would rub some teammates the wrong way or whatever, but it really did feel like he was fitting in with Philadelphia, that there was a... He he got the city, the city got him. He seemed to have good chemistry with Embiid. He had a real role, and I was a little surprised that they were willing to just give him to Milwaukee and say, we're going to bring in Kyle Lowry, who is not exactly, to me anyways, a certainty that he's better than Patrick Beverly at this point of his career. Like that's, That's where we're at with Lowry, man. So I think an interesting move. The the weirder one is if you're a Raptors fan or you're rooting for Lowry in the postseason, for me it's a no. I don't want to see Lowry win with the Sixers. I don't want to see him win in Philly. Like, no, that's not a that's not a proposition that I want. I've always said I, I'm not gonna root for Lowry to win another championship. I don't think that there's a single series where I would root for the Sixers in, in the Eastern Conference. I really don't. Not against Boston, not against Miami. I'd be like, no, sorry, Kyle want to see you guys lose. I don't want him to be like embarrassed. Clearly. I don't think that that's what anybody's rooting for. It's nurse too, right? This yeah, is that's what I mean. Like nurse too. and Lowry winning in Philadelphia yeah. would be uh, yeah. Kick in the crotch. I don't want that. So yeah. yeah. Good for Lowry that he signed there. I'm glad that he's actually going to have an opportunity to play on a winning team, uh, that he gets a chance to stick it to the heat, which is cool. But ultimately, yeah, I think that, I think they're going to be able to judge that move with, fair curiosity if it backfires and Lowry doesn't have any kind of positive impact and you know they end up in a series against the Bucks and Pat Bev has hounded them and given them an emotional boost they were they're not a deep team like Pat Beverly means something to them so anyway yeah. uh, what's next uh, the Phoenix Open this weekend I don't know if waste you, management yeah yeah cut I didn't even know that's what it was kind of referred to but yeah so Phoenix Open this weekend bunch of craziness Nick Taylor obviously hit big time shot and he won but it was more so about I like how you said that like borat he hit big time shot shot <laughs> yeah, okay <laughs> all right like way to recap that no because taylor I... he hit big time shot <laughs> okay, good. i didn't have right in front of me yeah he hit <laughs> big like, time shot. oh yeah i know you're really paying attention he hit big time shot dude i didn't even know this happening I yeah be of course yeah no, but, oh that's oh but, wow what a surprise that's it i don't, yeah, no. I don't know way to do golf, your job but, <laughs> but it was kind of interesting to me, all the kind of extracurriculars that was going on. Yeah. They had to the shut Open. off the booze. They had to shut off the booze at waste management. They yeah. said, Hey, uh, 
Nobody else is drinking. Anyway, it was cool that the crowd sang Oh Canada to Nick Taylor, and it sucks that his moment sort of gets a little stolen by all the antics. But, okay, first of all, multiple fights. Fans, there's, there's so many videos. There's one guy that's just covered in mud who's, like, trying to walk... No one's helping him. Everyone's a scumbag. No one. There's there's actually one part of it where he gets to the very top of the hill. I think he's going to keel over and fall down the hill. And he's like walking towards this one lady. And she just looks, she recoils in horror. This is someone who's been at Waste Management all weekend. And she's just like, oh, no, get away from this guy. Finally, one dude goes over and tries to help him. But he's got, I think, his shoes off. And he's just stumbling around. There's multiple fights. By the way, some horrifically embarrassing fights. There was one where there's these two young guys trying to fight an older guy. And you can hear the one dude going, I'll stick up for you, bro. And I went, you guys, ew, that's horrific. Anyway, uh, this is what, but I will tell you, this is one of the coolest events in golf and the golfers just ruin it. Here's, here's the truth. And golfers are going to get mad at this, but it's true. And you all know that professional golf is dead. It is deader than dead. So like, I know there's some of you out there that are still watching live, but now that we're split between two leagues, you got two leagues, you ain't got one. Okay, the fact that we watch Waste Management Open and have any kind of rooting interest in any of the golfers is fine, but nobody cares. Like, we're going to watch the majors like we always did, but outside of the majors, golf has never been more irrelevant in the North American market. Like, it's just, it's dead. And I don't care what numbers you show me or whatever. It's, you got hardcore golf fans. You guys are always going to watch. That's fine. None of the rest of us are ever going to tune into this. None of, Rory McIlroy, I'm, I'm the protector of golf. That was kind of Australian. I'm the protector of golf. I'm the protector of golf. That's there it is. That's that's that pretty good. There we go. There we go. I'm the protector. I'm going to tell you that there's the sanctity of golf, and we're going to protect it. Oh, actually, now I really like live, and it's great. I'm glad all those guys are getting all of their money. Yeah, come on, shove. You guys can shove. Golf sucks, and all those crybaby losers like Zach Johnson. Oh, how about you just shut up? What's a clip? Do you have a clip? He's like, I've had enough of it. it. I've had enough of it. Like he's scolding these guys to the golfer's defense that in basketball now, like guys are throwing players out all the time, left, right, and center. Like Luca threw that fan out because he said lose weight or whatever. So I think athletes across the board are getting a little softer with the stuff. The The skin is getting pretty thin. Can't say what you used to be able to say at games. I've always been a believer of people should know the line because the crowd around you will respond if you go too far. But Zach Johnson, all time crybaby moment for golf. And then Billy Horschel too. This is our jobs. This is our jobs because they're making millions of dollars to golf. Shut up. Anyways, the one cool event, the golfers ruined because they're too big of babies for it. And the golf fans go too hard. And I don't even know if they're all golf fans there. But yeah, golf is dead. We'll see you tomorrow.